following is brought to you by Canyon Ridge Church in Tacoma. For additional podcasts or information on service times and upcoming events, please visit us online at www.explorecrc.com. So, uh, back in the days of silent films, that would have been incredible, but today... It's lacking a little something. So uh, before I get going today, uh, I'm excited about what God has to say to us. Uh, I want to dismiss our junior high and high school students. They get to go out to Canyon Ridge Youth, out those double doors to the Paradise Room. So go go ahead, guys, and have a good uh, time with Nick, and have a lot of fun. Bouncing in and out here. All right. Uh, excited about what I get to share with you guys today. We, we've been in a great series just kind of talking about the, the, the fundamentals of our faith that sometimes we can miss, sometimes we can forget. So um, God has really shared some important things with me this week. And when God shares important things with you, you know, a really cool thing to do is to be able to share that with someone else. Um, so I get the pleasure of doing that today. Um, let's go to him in prayer one more time before we get into this message. Father God, thank you for being here today. Thank you that, that God, I can be confident here that, Lord, you have some amazing things you want to speak to us, that, God, you want to be with us and you want to change us even in these moments before we leave. Help us to be open to that, though, Lord. We come in here from various places all around, various situations in our lives, Lord, may this, may this be the place where we kind of just get to come together into the one situation of saying, yeah, I'm willing to hear from you, Lord. I'm willing to let you show us what our next step is. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Preach like a dying man to a dying world. Those are the words that Pastor John Sims used to give me on occasion before I would speak on a Sunday morning. I mean, the point is simple, right? Treat this moment like, like it's the only chance you might have to share something, or maybe the only chance those listening might have to encounter this truth that could change their lives. So don't hold anything back like there might be another shot at it, and also don't water anything down with stuff that isn't important to those who are going to hear this. We get this one shot together. There may never be another one. So, so preach like you won't be back next week. And preach like everyone that's listening could be running out of time. And so if you get that advice, you know, someone gives that to you, here's what you're really hoping for. You hope that you will go out there and you will absolutely give it your best and do your best. And, and you still hope that both you and those in the audience will make it back for another message someday. That'd be a win-win, right? Uh, but what if you really knew that this was it? Like, that this wasn't just a saying this time. This really was the last message. This was the last communication, the last letter, the last words that you might ever pass on to someone else. I mean, if you were in that situation, how would you handle it? What would you choose to pass on? Of all the important things you could possibly talk about in the whole world, where would you focus? If you could only write one last letter to your family or to a close friend and then possibly never see them again, what would you say? It is in this unique and precious situation that we find ourselves as we have been looking at 2 Timothy chapter 1 these past few weeks. Although this book, 2 Timothy, it's not the last book in the Bible, 
It is the last letter that we have written by the Apostle Paul, and the indication is he knew it. He writes from a Roman prison at the end of his life, but it's not the end of his life because he's just so old. It's because the words he has preached, full of life and truth, were perceived as a threat to the Roman government, and now he's not just on death row, but he is at the end of death row. Listen to the words he writes in the last chapter of his letter. He says, I am already being poured out like a drink offering. That's a rather graphic image there. And the time for my departure is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Everything he speaks about himself is now he's talking about himself in the past tense. Sure, it seems like he knows. There probably won't be another time to write another letter. And so the words he writes here just seem to have this special urgency about them. He is a dying man. So he's going to write some of the most important words he can put on parchment. He may not be writing to a dying world, but he is writing to a young pastor named Timothy who probably feels a little bit like the world is caving in on him right about now. So what we know about Timothy is that he was in a situation leading a church where there were other people who said, you know what, we think we can do that better than you. And they were opposing him and trying to lead people away from him from the truth that Timothy had been trying to teach them. So, all right, Paul, you got one. One and only shot at this. This is your last teaching. This is your last mentorship to someone who really needs it. This is your last advice. What will you say? Well, in the opening chapter of this letter, Paul says a lot in a very little space. I encourage you to read it yourself. Um, Spend time with it when you read it so you can stop and you can consider each idea because there's so much packed in there. Today, I just want to summarize it and then we'll get to the piece that we're going to focus on. But if I were to summarize his message to Timothy, it would be this. Timothy, dig in. Double down. Lean forward, Timothy. You've been given a gift from the Spirit that is like a spark. I want to see you fan it into a flame. God has given you His Spirit. Well, you need to live in His power. You have been mentored by someone willing to suffer and die for Jesus Christ. Well, don't be ashamed of me. Follow me. Join me. Suffer with me. You've been made holy by Christ. Well, live like it. You've learned the gospel. Well, live for the gospel and never depart from what you've already been given, the sound teaching you've received. And just a few verses, a handful of them, Paul reminds Timothy, look, God has given you the fundamental resources and understanding that you need to live for Him. Now is the time when you are under attack, when, you, when things aren't going right, when life sucks. Now is the time when those fundamentals are going to show themselves to be more important than ever. Maybe we should pay attention to them too. Our teaching series right now is titled, I Don't Know What I Believe, because somehow in today's world, it's just so common to find someone who finds Jesus, maybe someone who even gives their life to Jesus, and yet we can still miss out on some of these fundamentals that Paul's saying, you've got to have a hold on these. We can lose sight of them over time. 
We talked two weeks ago about how we can forget that Christianity is far, far more about who we know than it is about what we know. We talked last week about how following Christ is not about being holy enough. So now people say, oh, it looks like you've got a new identity. Rather, it's about how Christ gives you a new identity that produces a holy life in you. And today we come to a third incredibly important truth. This is perhaps the one that gets the most press in the entirety of Paul's last letter. This teaching is this. Holding on to sound teaching is a matter of life or death. In this powerful opening section of the letter, Paul gives many instructions, many encouragements, but he ends with this. What you heard from me, keep as the pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Christ Jesus. Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. He says, don't move from the truth you've received. In fact, guard it because it's going to come under attack. Paul knows it's already under attack. So he adds on, you're going to need the Holy Spirit's power to guard this one. Good stuff, clear stuff. Paul is definitely pro-sound teaching. So much so that in this letter that's only four chapters long, only a few pages to convey what might be his final words, he just keeps coming back to this one over and over again. I'm not going to read you the whole book today, but I'll I'll show you. Chapter 1, he says, keep the the pattern of sound teaching. Guard it. Get God's help to guard it. Chapter 2, he says, you've got teaching. Make sure to pass it on to other reliable people so that they can pass it on. You're going to suffer for it, but it's worth it. Remember the key tenets of sound teaching. Remind people of them. Work hard to teach well and correctly. False teachings are the opposite. They're like cancer. They're destructive. They will spread out of control. Don't have anything to do with them. Chapter three, he doesn't get away from it. He says, the false teachers you know, they're not even real Christians. Stick with the sound teaching you've received. The substance of that sound teaching is found in one place. It's in the scriptures. It's in the word of God. And in chapter four, Paul still continues and he says, Timothy, here's my final charge to you. Preach the word of God. Be prepared in season and out of season. Make sure people hear this truth. Just do it with patience and with love. And know, sadly, that many people won't want to hear it. In all four chapters of the last letter Paul will ever write, he just can't get away from one idea, that holding on to sound teaching is a matter of life or death. If you've got it, he says it's worth suffering for. But false teaching he compares to a cancer or to a gangrene that spreads and kills So he's pretty convinced. But here's the question. Do you really believe him? I mean, yeah, I'm sure every one of us would uh, get the answer right if we took this one question test. Which is better, truth or evil lies from the pit of hell? Truth, every time, right? Yep. We would all check truth. Sound teaching or manipulative propaganda, <laughs> would it be sound teaching or manipulative propaganda serving a dark purpose? I will take the sound teaching, please. Amen. Well, then I guess there's no problem, right? Everybody here loves the truth. Everyone we know already wants sound teaching. No one ever 
Now, no one we ever talked to ever says, you know, I would prefer to live in deception and ignorance. You see, if you dumb it down for us, every one of us feels real smart. Yes, we do. But here's some truth for you. This test won't be dumbed down. In the real world we live in, no one holds up a big warning sign to you when they start lying to you. Wouldn't that be nice if your kids would start doing that? I mean, they won't, guaranteed, even if you ask nicely. And in fact, every, every false teaching claims to be true. Every lie is out there with this goal for people to believe it, for people to be taken away from the real truth. Sure, some lies are easy to spot. Again, kids, see the, see the girl with the chocolate mustache You know that she ate the candy bar she said she didn't eat, right? But what happens when most people you know, educated, well-educated adult people, see the world in a certain way? What happens when the world is portrayed a certain way on TV and in the movies? What happens when the loudest voices are claiming a completely different truth? What happens when everything around you starts pointing away from something you believe Or is it now something you're pretty sure you used to believe? Where did the sound teaching go? Did it move or did you? Or did society? How can you find it again? How would you recognize it if you did? These are tough questions. It's not an easy test. It won't be dumbed down. It's tough, but this isn't just a thought experiment. This is where we live today. Sound teaching, good, solid truth. It's more precious than diamonds, and there are a lot of really loud and contradictory voices out there claiming they've all got it. Well, by sheer logic, by sheer reasoning, most of them have to be wrong. They're really spreading a cancer, not the better life that they promise. But how can we tell? Do we just do our best and hope God is really forgiving? Or is there something better than that? Let's go back to Paul's instruction. He says, what you have heard from me, keep as the pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Christ Jesus. Paul says there is a pattern in sound teaching. There are some things about it that are repeatable, that are predictable, You could go so far as to say that there are some tests you can apply to a claim or a teaching to see if it is indeed that thing that we all say we want, honest to God, truth, and not yet another false promise about how to find meaning in life. And so in our time today, I want us to look at some of that pattern. Now, we're not going to cover everything there is to say, but we'll look at three important things, three characteristics of sound teaching. And let's just go ahead and start off with a doozy, shall we? You want to be able to recognize good, solid teaching about the things that really matter? Then it will probably be helpful and inconvenient to know that sound teaching won't be in line with your agenda. Or if you're bold enough, you can write it down this way on your note sheet. Sound teaching won't be in line with my agenda, if you want to personalize it. 
Now, how does that settle for you? You may already be arguing with that in your mind, but I think it's a great place for us to start, to realize that sound teaching really is indeed sound. It is indeed valuable and true and right and good, not because we like it, but it is all of those things because it meets a standard much higher than we would ever set. It's not that sound teaching will always be at odds with us, but here's the deal. It will never serve our agenda. The truth won't bend to fit our lives or our preferences. Good instruction won't change when it becomes unpopular. In fact, catch this. The best instruction about life will always be leading you more and more away from where you would naturally go. That doesn't sound fun. <laughs> It'll always be leading you more and more away from where you would naturally go. And this is a very important concept for us to grasp. This fact that, that sound teaching is outside of us. It comes from somewhere else. It will refuse to just give us what we want. It's important for us to understand because we live in a world today that offers exactly the opposite. Today's world offers every individual person the chance to believe whatever they want, and, and even if it's crazy, even if it's totally false, even if it's evil, each person can not only believe it, but find plenty of support and encouragement to do so. Have you noticed that today, every one of us can live in our own echo chamber? Whatever we say, whatever we believe, we can construct our lives around us so that everyone else is saying the same thing. We pick our music. We pick the flavor of news we read or watch. And yeah, it comes in flavors now, huh? We pick the groups of people we hang out with. We pick the people we communicate with online. Yeah, and I'll be fair, we even pick where we're going to church. We pick who is speaking to us about what is true. We can choose all of that so that everything reinforces our agenda, our viewpoints, our predefined way of seeing the world. This past week, I watched a fascinating documentary on Netflix called Behind the Curve that was all about this very phenomenon. The documentary was showing how in today's advanced day and age, as we like to call ourselves, the belief that the earth is flat is actually growing. More people believe the earth is flat now than did 20 years ago. Not because of sound teaching, not because of great science, but because if you want to believe that the earth is flat today, or if you want to believe that aliens killed JFK, or if you want to believe that Jesus isn't who he claimed he was, or if you want to believe that all roads lead to heaven, whatever you want to believe today, you can have a lot of company in your belief. You can find teaching and t-shirts and websites and videos and other people that serve your idea. The Apostle Paul actually spoke of this phenomenon Back in 2 Timothy, chapter 4, verses 3 and 4, he writes, The time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, 
to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. In today's world, we have automated this verse. (laughs) You want to gather around you a great number of teachers who will tell you what you want to hear? You are just one Google search away. But that's not sound teaching at all. That is just an echo chamber. Sound teaching won't align with your agenda. In other words, if it's sound, you won't always agree with it. You won't always like it. You won't always hear what you want to hear. I mean, Jesus taught us that eternal life is found in laying our own lives down and following him. That's true. That's sound guidance, but it doesn't serve my agenda at all. It serves his. What does a pattern of sound teaching look like? A second thing Paul shows us is that sound teaching requires a response. Sound teaching requires a response. If you recall the first verse we looked at, Paul said this, what you heard from me keep as the pattern of sound teaching, but he didn't stop there. He didn't just say, hey, remember everything you learned from me, all that wonderful stuff you put in your head. He adds on just a few more words as a qualifier. He says, with faith and love in Christ Jesus. He says, when you build your definition of sound teaching. Remember, everything you've heard from me is an example, but you should see this teaching produce something. You should see this teaching producing faith and love in Jesus. And I know we can very easily just think about, you know, faith and love in the same category we sort of think about, you know, feelings and rainbows and cotton candy, you know, just these fluffy, wonderful words. But in the Bible, faith and love are action words. Faith is a trust That moves us to obedient action. Love is a choice to give what is best to someone else. Faith and love are not feelings or nice, soft images. Paul says that sound teaching goes hand in hand with a meaningful response. Perhaps one of the best places we see this is actually in Jesus' teachings. Some of you have probably heard the story hundreds of times, but today will be hundreds and one. Uh, Let's read from Matthew chapter 22, verses 34 through 30. It says, When the Pharisees had heard that he had silenced the Sadducees with his reply, they met together to question him, Jesus, again. One of them, an expert in religious law, tried to trap him with this question. Teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? Jesus replied, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second commandment is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. And in a few quick sentences, Jesus himself gives us all we need to know what sound teaching is. He says, All the sound teaching that is in the whole Bible up until now, everything in the law, everything spoken through God's prophets hangs on just two things, two responses that God wants to produce in you, loving God and loving other people. You can learn all you want. 
You can learn even from good sources that don't align with your agenda, but if it doesn't make you love God more and love your neighbors more, it's either not so great of teaching or you are missing some of the points, maybe all of the points, because this is what God is after, loving God, which Jesus himself tells us, you know, how do you love a God? How do you give a God something he doesn't need? How do you add anything to God's universe at all? Jesus says, how you love God is you obey him. So God is after us loving and obeying him, and he is after us loving others, which means choosing the highest good for them. Did you notice something in this story, though? The religious expert asked Jesus, can you give me one commandment? Can you give me the top commandment? I'm only going to obey one thing, Jesus. What's it going to be? And Jesus will not give him that one thing. He will not. Jesus does tell him the answer. It's okay. You want the top commandment? It's your relationship with God. It's got to be at the top. Most indisputable, important thing in your life. That is the commandment. That is the answer if you want to know if I know the answer. But Jesus does not want that answer to stand on its own. Jesus doesn't want him, doesn't want us who are reading his teachings thousands of years later to walk away with one commandment. He wants us to walk away with two. Love God with everything you've got and love your neighbor as well as you would ever love yourself. Why not just give one? Why? Because sound teaching comes in a pattern that always points to both. Without both commandments, we can be all sorts of wrong. We can. Let's think about it. If the only thing we follow is the commandment to love God with everything we've got, I mean, maybe we get really good at worshiping God. We get really good at praying, having this open conversation with God at all times. We, we get good at learning about God, really good about thinking about godly things, really good about gratitude. Just God is just, you know, He is everything in our lives. In short, we get really good at God and me. Greatest commandment, check. But if we don't love others... If our relationship with God never blesses, never reaches out, never cares for others, never forgives others, someday God promises us we could stand in front of him and he very well could tell us, I don't even know who you are. We don't have time today, but we could easily preach a whole sermon series about all the responsibilities to others that God says, this is what loving me is all about. Be they family, be they strangers, be they friends, be they the poor our enemies, people in need, people in the church, people who would never step foot in a church. God's word speaks very frequently and very clearly about the fact that our relationship with him must matter and show itself in our relationships with many other people. Likewise, if we decided <clears throat> we're only going to take that second command, we're only going to love our neighbors the way we would love ourselves, and we followed that with everything we had. Oh, we would be happy. <laughs> but we sure wouldn't be holy. Loving others would be absolutely important in our lives. And if we were really good at it, everybody would notice. I mean, so many people would just be thrilled to encounter us because they knew that we would have their good in mind at all times, that we were going to put them first. I mean, this is not bad stuff, right? This is good. But without the first command... 
without loving and obeying God first and foremost above all things, then loving others is whatever I want it to be. Loving others is whatever I want it to be. It's comfort over truth. It's, it's fun over responsibility. It's often foolishness over wisdom. It's sex without boundaries. It's this life over eternity. It's my way over God's or over anyone else's. It's basically just me defining what good is instead of God. It is absolutely astounding to me that Jesus could take everything that God wants us to to learn, everything that God wants to teach us, and he could summarize it in two sentences, but he refused to make it one. This is the pattern of sound teaching that Jesus will draw you into. It won't just make you smart. It won't just make you feel good. It won't just leave you the same. It will require a response from you. It will draw you deeper and deeper into the love for God and into your obedience to God, and it will cause you to truly seek God's good for others. Sound teaching won't align with your agenda, sorry, and it will require a response from you, a growing response of love for God and love for others, sorry again. (laughs) It really is kind of a don't stay the same kind of thing. And I said I'd give you three, so let's close with this one. Knowing and keeping to the pattern of sound teaching requires investing in God's Word. If you want to have a prayer of having sound teaching really make any difference in your life, it requires investing in God's Word. In 2 Timothy... Chapter 3, verses 16 through 17, the Apostle Paul tells us very directly where sound teaching comes from. He says, all Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Scripture. God's Word, those 66 books that we know today as the book, the Bible. That's where sound teaching comes from. And actually, according to these verses, even more than that, that's where sound rebuking comes from. That's where sound correction comes from. That's where God-breathed training in righteousness comes from. It's where equipping for a lot of good works comes No, it's where equipping for every good work comes from. Scripture is it. It is God's chosen source for all of these things. And listen to this. God chose Scripture as His primary means to speak to us. God chose Scripture as His primary means to speak to us. Think about that for a second. The the perfect and almighty, all-knowing God knows that we need to hear from Him. He, He knows that learning about who He is and what He wills for us is truly a matter of life or death that we would be utterly lost without this understanding. And in his perfection, in his wisdom, he has decided here is the best way that people can learn about my thoughts and my ways. I am going to write it down. That is what God chose. I mean, 
He chose food as the best way that we could nourish our bodies and Scripture as the best way we could nourish our souls and really our lives as a whole. And last time I checked, every single hungry person wants food. (laughs) But when it comes to our spiritual hunger, our need to know the truths that have eternal significance, our need to respond to those truths, our need to connect with our reason for being here, our need to know the one who made us and knows us better than we know ourselves, when it comes to this spiritual hunger, so often we ignore God's primary choice to feed us. A recent Barna Group study found that only 14% of American adults read God's Word every day. That's not surprising though, right? That's where most of us live. (laughs) 14% don't, but then there's the rest of us. That is the experience of the vast, vast majority of us, even, even people who, you know, attend church and that's a meaningful part of their lives. But it's a sign about how much or maybe how little we value the Scriptures. In Paul's last letter, one of the top concerns on his mind, one of the subjects he just couldn't stop talking about was how important it was to connect God's people with the pattern of sound teaching found in God's Word. There are hundreds of important things he could have talked about, but he didn't. Instead, this one he did in every chapter of that letter, it comes up again and again. So let me come back to the hypothetical question that I, that I kind of posed to you at the beginning. Um, you know, this was your chance to preach the last message to the last meeting with people that you'd ever have. But, you know, many of you are probably not going to be preaching sometime the rest of this week. So let me contextualize it a little bit more, but ask you to do this or to think about this. Today, if you had to write your last instructions about life down for someone, Uh, imagine if you had children and one of your children was 18 today and they were going to move away from your house. They're going to move out of the house, go move out on their own. Let's say that you knew that when they walked out your front door for the last time, they could very well forget everything that you had been trying to teach them for 18 years. People do that but you had the chance to send one little note card with them with your final instructions on it. And your child didn't promise you much, but they did promise that they would keep your note card with them and they would do their best to follow at least, you know, maybe the top few pieces of advice that you would leave with them. Well, as a parent, I will take it. I will do that. This is one last meaningful chance to make a difference. Well, what if you could only give them five final instructions? What if it was only three? If you had to do this right after service ended today, what would you write? Call your mother once a week? Don't do drugs? wear sunscreen? Would listening to and responding to God's word even make the cut? I ask because it makes God's cut over and over in Scripture. He's trying to tell us how important it is 
to know and respond to his word. Paul's letter is just one example, but it's there throughout Scripture. This idea that if we love God, then it means we love his word. The longest chapter in the entire Bible is about how great and praiseworthy and holy and good God's instructions are. I don't think that's an accident. The mission that Jesus gives the church is not just go and make new believers, but it's get my word in them. Teach them to obey everything that I have taught you. Just last week, Pastor Josh was teaching about the passage of Scripture where Jesus so famously spoke, man does not live on bread alone. That's one kind of feeding we need, but we need every word that comes from the Father. And there are so many more examples, but the point is that God's idea, and no, not really just God's idea, God's will for you, God's plan for you, and if you call yourself a disciple, His expectation of you is that you invest in His Word. Much as we might like to, we can't honestly claim to follow God and then willingly ignore His Word. Sound teaching won't align with our agenda. It'll pull us towards God. Sound teaching won't let us passively get smarter or more holy in our own little world. It'll demand a response that honors God and loves other people. And sound teaching won't just come and land in our hearts because we love God so much. It'll show up in our lives when we stop saying it's important and we start making it important as we invest daily, getting God's word into us and responding to it. These instructions that we actually listen to, this sound teaching that we're looking for, instructions we listen to about how to live our lives and prepare for what comes afterward, they're a matter of life or death. So let me leave you with a question today. Who has the most significant voice in guiding your life? Because someone does. Someone does. Who do you listen to above any other? For many of us, the answer is as simple and as troublesome as this. Me. I am the determiner of truth. I know what matters for eternity. I like my voice best. Whatever your default answer is, it will take a daily effort to replace that voice with the only one that is eternal. You need God's word every single day. Start your day or end your day by reading it, listening to it, talking about it, watching a video, teaching of it, or spend your lunch break coming back to it over and over again. However you get God's word in you, it's got to be a regular and repeated thing. Do it every day. And then spend the rest of your day in response to it. If you're terrible at it by yourself, get someone to join you. Make a system. Reward yourself for meeting goals. Listen to something on the way to work. Make a habit out of it. But don't let your voice, don't let your boss's voice or the countless voices in the media and on the internet, don't even let your spouse's voice or your pastor's voice be the most significant voice in guiding your life. Do everything it takes 
to give that place to no voice other than God's word itself. It'll change your life. Let's pray. Father God, this seems like a a natural time to say, thank you for your word. You've given us all we need to know you, to enter into a relationship with you, and to live a life that has eternal value. But Lord, somehow, I don't think you want us to say thanks and then go on ignoring your word tomorrow. Some of us here today, though, have heard this message and want to commit to something different tomorrow. Lord, forgive us for selectively picking out the only so-called truths that fit with our own agenda. Forgive us for hearing from you and staying the same. Forgive us for making Scripture unimportant in our lives. God, help us to change. Help us to change this week. Help us daily to put your word not just in a place of honor, but one of authority as well. And help us to live each day with a response of love for you and love for others. In Jesus' name, amen.